Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Sky, a companion podcast to Sky Island Journal, an independent international literary journal where we discover and publish the finest poetry, flash fiction, and creative nonfiction from around the world. Always free to access, we publish accomplished authors side by side with emerging voices. For over 115,000 readers in 145 different countries. My name is Jeff Sommerfeld, co-founder and co-editor-in-chief of Sky Island Journal, and I'm so thankful that you decided to join us here at Voices from the Sky, a Sky Island podcast production where we delve deep into some of our favorite pieces since our journal's inception in 2017, and we go inside the minds and hearts of their creators as they help us explore their literary works more fully. We continue to celebrate the release of issue 22, fall 2022, of Sky Island Journal. And this is part of a trio of episodes that feature brand new works from that issue. You will get a sampling of the world-class poetry, flash fiction, and creative nonfiction included in issue 22, and meet a few of the writers and the poets themselves. In our last episode, we heard from Shannon Huffman Polson and explored her poem, After the Bombs Fall. In this episode, I have the honor of sharing a stunning creative nonfiction piece by Jonathan O'Dell titled, Our Wondrous Monsters. Before we get into the piece and into its origins, here's a brief bio of Jonathan. Jonathan O'Dell is the author of three novels. His first, The View from Delphi, from Madikam Cage, 2004, deals with the struggle for equality in pre-civil rights Mississippi, his home state. In 2012, Random House published his second novel, The Healing, which explores the power of a story to free a people, set on a slave plantation in the Mississippi Delta. A third novel, Miss Hazel and the Rosa Parks League, was released by Maiden Lane Press, February 2015. His essays appear in various publications, including The New York Times, Commonweal, The Bitter Southerner, Minnesota Monthly, Salon, and The Alternate. Odell presently lives in Minnesota with his husband. As we get started with our conversation, we begin by talking about his recent publication with us in issue 22 of Sky Island Journal, which includes our featured creative nonfiction piece, Our Wondrous Monsters, and also the creative nonfiction piece titled Rock Solid Proof of God's Love, both of which are linked in our show notes. And first, I asked him why it feels special to see these pieces in publication. It was really important because you do have a global audience. That's one of the reasons why I was so interested in uh, Sky Island and that you promote, of course, after the publication. I've written novels, fiction, Mm -hmm. but... This is my first foray into, into nonfiction, and more memoir. And I want to eventually have a book of uh, memoir pieces. And this felt like a really good way to kick that off, to get some feedback on the voice that I'm using to make sure that comes across. It's kind of a coming out for me to be able to come out and say, okay, now I'm writing memoir. That's a little scary thing to say. I'm known as a fiction writer. As I said, it was an honor to speak with Jonathan, who is such an accomplished author and unique to meet him at this stage in his career while he challenges and stretches himself 
to enter into the world of memoir, it's undeniable that this genre suits him just as well as fiction. I told him how our wondrous monsters in particular has that tremendous quality of being intensely personal to him, but at the same time, it hits home and we can often find ourselves within it. It has that ability to simultaneously inspire compassion and self-discovery in readers. That's a great compliment. I mean, that's one of the reasons I was excited about uh, Sky Island, because so many times I'm called a Southern writer, and that seems to suggest that you have to be born in the South to understand what I'm trying to say. And I think it was Faulkner who said, specificity leads to universality. And that's what I'm hoping to do, is writing so specifically about who I am in my past that it leads to the universal. And um, I'm hoping people overseas will be able to read this, even though it's about Mississippi, but see themselves in Norway or see themselves in France, (laughs) that it does translate because it is specifically about me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much humanity that exists within this piece. And it, you know, when Jason and I started this back in 2017, we never imagined we'd get emails back from people. You know, I, th- I think it was always maybe a hope, but to, to get to get an email from someone who, you know, they're living in India and they write back to us right. and they say, oh, we're just, <laughs> I'm so thrilled to get my poem in your journal. I've been reading it for years. <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> that amazing? you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I know. That was it. That was it. You know, I, Faulkner, I, he was like, he was my, he was one of my heroes. And I went to uh, Roanoke in Oxford, his house. Yeah. And I was, Faulkner was mine. You know, he was a Mississippi man. He was very personal to me. And here I saw a tour bus and there were Asians getting off the tour bus going to look at Roanoke. Mm-hmm. And I said, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> what do they know about Faulkner? <laughs> and I talked to one, he's from Japan. He says, oh, Faulkner. We all love Faulkner. He he knows the Japanese soul. <laughs> but, oh <Wow>. my god! <laughs> I can, and that's when it was like, oh, that's what literature does. Right. It transcends location and place, but to transcend it, you've got to be rooted in it, and that's that's the paradox for me. Absolutely. And that's what you do, and that's that's what, what you do in your journal. That's the kind of things that you you select those things that transcend place but they seem to be so rooted in the author's experience and to the author's environment. That's, I love that. We certainly love that as well. And speaking of place, Jonathan, while originally from Mississippi, now lives in Minnesota, which is a state that has its own grand tradition of exemplary writers over the years. I know the place well as a next-door neighbor to my home state of Wisconsin, and I loved my time living in Minnesota for over 10 years in my young adulthood. So naturally, I asked Jonathan to talk a bit about his experience in Minnesota and how it helped him as a writer. I found Minnesota in 1980, and I don't think I would be writing unless I had ended up in Minnesota because of the cultural history around around writing and uh, how, how in Mississippi, you have to really re- become a recluse to write. Nobody understands it. People want to know what you do for a living, and writing doesn't count. But in Minnesota, there is a culture that writing's okay, even if you have to starve to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, there, there are a lot of resources like the Loft Literary Center and Open Book, 
places you can go and talk to other people like you who may never have written before, but they have that interest. And that's what I needed. I needed a little permission to say it's okay to write. That's an okay thing to be doing for a man who's spent his entire life in business, that it's okay to experiment. Yeah, like I say, and that there are so many other writers here. It's so easy to find a writing group uh, that supports your interests. So, like I say, I don't think I would have written unless I had found the cocoon that Minnesota offers to writers. It really is important to find community as a writer. And it was a keen piece of advice shared by Atib Ghoul earlier in season two of our podcast. And I'm glad that Jonathan has been able to find that in Minnesota. Next, I asked him what he remembers about the original inception of this piece, Our Wondrous Monsters. I remember when I began it. I began it after my first book of fiction came out in 2004. I would go to readings and everyone would ask, well, how did you end up writing? Uh, Why do you write? And I really had to go back and think about what were the steps that led me from Mississippi to Minnesota to the point where I left my business and decided to write. And the answer was, I, you know, I had to. Most of my life had been constructed about getting out of the South and getting away from Mississippi and getting away from my parents and getting away from that culture getting away from the racism and the homophobia that was at age 29 was just strangling me was just killing me I was a I was an alcoholic I was had been in jail several times for DWIs I was on the road to self-destruction and some little light popped in my vision and said get the hell out before they throw you out so um, I decided I would I took the first job that would take me the furthest away and that ended up being in Minnesota Wow, I hadn't. I never heard of Minnesota except Mary Tyler Moore show was playing at that time, and I loved. I loved the theme song, which was perfect for me. And you're going to make it after all. I think was the theme song. So I just got. I got out. I I was probably the only person who moved to Minnesota not to get sober. I had no idea that it was the home of 10,000 treatment centers. So after about a year of being in business in Minnesota, I got sober. And that's when my past started to wake up. The anesthetic began to wear off. And I would start having dreams about Mississippi and the unfinished business I had there and uh, my relationship with my parents, uh, my relationship with with the, the racial history that was there, the things that I had just put to sleep and did not want to deal with, with personal abuse that had happened within the family and outside the family. So as I sobered up, those memories started to percolate, and I, there was no way to put them away. So I started going back down south to confront some of my monsters, my family, and to deal with, with my own racist past. But I, at the same time, I was building a successful business in consulting. I had no idea of writing. That was I did not see myself as a writer. The only thing I had written were Policy manuals for corporations and training manuals, things that are very business bottom line oriented. So after a few years of going back to Mississippi, and I heard a saying a long time ago, which is before the age of five, you believe what you see. And after the age of five, you see what you believe. And that's especially true in the South. It's very important to see things as the way people tell you they are. And that leads to 
kind of a memory lapse. You you have amnesia about the things that are around you. You just learn to survive them. So over the, those few years that I returned, I realized, you know, I really need to write about this. And that's when I just left my business in 1996. I just said no more. And I started writing. I'd never written before, but I had to get these stories down. So that's where the theme came from. That kind of leads you to the first novel. That was my reasoning for leaving, for uh, getting sober, for, for writing. Was A lot of people come to writing, I think they're told to write what you know. But what got me into writing was I needed to write what I didn't know. I, I wrote what... I was drawn to know, and that was two different questions, which kind of come out in the in the essay, which was, one, why is my family as crazy as they were? And that was the basis of my first novel. I really needed to know. I've been through therapy, but I really never knew why we were so crazy. How did that happen? So I created a fictional family, very much like my own. And that was the basis of the first novel that was semi-autobiographical. And the other thing that I really wanted to know that I had no idea about was how do you become racist? How does a five-year-old, six-year-old kid become racist without even his consent? How does that happen? How do you absorb the culture to the point where you are so blind to racism and to the half of the uh, population that surrounded me? What? How did that white bubble happen? So those two questions have guided my writing and the title Wondrous Monsters because eventually after having hated the South and hated my parents, I realized what I was hating was me. And they were monsters, but I learned to love those monsters and love that part of me. And through my writing, I was able to embrace the South again and embrace my parents again. And with all the, uh, Flaws. And because I was able to do that, I was able to make myself big enough to contain those things that once I tried to eliminate, and try to cancel out in my life. So writing has made me literally just a, a, a bigger person with a more expansive ability to love those things that no longer threaten me. And to hear that, you know, it, it comes through so vividly in the piece as well. And there's very much so that shift that takes place that learning more about oneself and at first not necessarily liking the reflection that comes back in the mirror, but learning to, right. to love yourself again makes it possible to then transfer that. And those negative feelings, those negative thoughts, they can go by the wayside. They can move down the road because you can move forward with that love. Right. But, it, but it really does have to start from within. That's the other thing that writing did. When I first started writing, my major character was that six-year-old kid who was living in a bubble. But I was not able to surround my... I had great characters, but because of the way that I was raised in Mississippi, growing up a gay kid, I didn't have time to look at the scenery. I didn't have a, a time to absorb the environment. I was too busy looking over my shoulder. So when I started writing, it was flat. I didn't have a sense of home. So I went back home. Luckily, my parents were still around, and they became my consultant. I asked my mother how to cook biscuits, and my father how to pick cotton. And through them telling me about their lives, something else opened up. It's that their lives opened up. And it was like, oh, this is who you were. 
this is who you are. God, your story is so much bigger than, than my judgment. And that was the ability to say, okay, you are still screwed up parents. You are still not great parents, but my God, you are wonderful characters. You're wonderful human beings, and your life is so much expansive than me knowing you those few years that I was with you. Your life is bigger than that. So I had a problem with not wanting people to change. I didn't want them to move out of my judgments. But when you're writing, people don't want to know about villains. They don't want to know about saints. They don't want to know about victims. They want full, fleshed-out people. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to really look at those people that I had judged and let them be bigger than my judgments. And that's where the love came from, was being able to, to accept that their story will never be compartmentalized. It's bigger. It's a mystery. And so it's like stepping into that mystery. You're really getting me to think about these things for the first time. Well, it's good. It feels a little like therapy. Uh, <laughs> <So. laughs> um, well, you know, Jonathan, you're not the first person to tell me that on these interviews. So um, <laughs> maybe I need to spend a little time you. looking inward as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but I'll feel much better when we're done. There we go. Beautiful. <laughs> It felt so good to talk and laugh with Jonathan. He's such a natural storyteller, and it is a gift that he found his path as a human being and that it manifested into the beautiful, authentic, and transformative writing that we get to enjoy. Speaking of, in just a few moments, you'll hear a reading of this piece, Our Wondrous Monsters, from Jonathan himself. But first... I prompted him to share a few brief comments about his other projects beyond this publication with us at Sky Island Journal. Like I said, my focus for the past 20 years has been on fiction. So there's quite a body of work out there, and they can explore that if they'd like through jonathanodell.net. Also, on that website, there will be links to other nonfiction pieces. I'm I'm really working to get a body of uh, memoir essays out. I've had some success, and if they want to go to the website, I'll I'll have those up so they can link into other publications, if that's okay, that have printed some of my essays. Absolutely. The two books that, I, that I'm most proud of, one is The View from Delphi. I've renamed it Miss Hazel and the Rosa Parks League. It's in most bookstores and in Amazon. And the other is The Healing, uh, Random House. Again, two novels that people can check out. They can find those on my on my website. I think that's it. If you want to experience more of Jonathan O'Dell's writing, especially his works of fiction, and to stay in the know about his continued work in the genre of memoir, I've included a link to his website in our show notes. It is well worth your time. As we wrapped up our conversation, Jonathan and I shared a few words of mutual thanks. Thanks for what you do to promote us authors. We're so used to being being used and thrown away. It's so nice <laughs> if somebody if somebody keeps around after after the publication. So. <laughs> uh, well, it it means so much to me that you took the time to connect here today. Thank you. This has been such a treat, such a pleasure. And Jason wanted me to extend a hello and gratitude here as well. Well, thank you both, and congratulations on the work that you're doing. It's much needed, and I know a lot of authors are excited about what you're doing. Well, thank you're geared you. toward the author as well as the reader, which is welcome news. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care, Bye-bye. Jonathan.
Listeners, before I sign off, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to you as well for joining us here at Voices from the Sky. I truly hope this piece and this conversation resonated with you on some level. In the next episode, I'll continue to feature a brand new literary work that was recently published in issue 22 of Sky Island Journal. This time, a stunning flash fiction piece. Be sure to hear our next episodes and the conclusion of season two by following us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get great podcasts. If you like what you've heard, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps more people find this podcast, and more importantly, it helps more people find these incredible poets and writers who we admire so much here at Sky Island Journal. You can read this episode's featured piece, Our Wondrous Monsters, and all the incredible works of Issue 22, Fall 2022, for free at skyislandjournal.com. We hope you continue to join us in the months and years to come. Thanks again. And for now, please enjoy Our Wondrous Monsters by Jonathan O'Dell. Our Wondrous Monsters Everyone's past is populated with wondrous monsters. Family, friends, heroes, and villains whom we've loved and hated, harmed or worse, become indifferent to. Moments we've romanticized or tried to forget, which is the same thing. I'm not talking about the dead past of history books, but the living, vital past that is continually flowing through us like a canyon river, shaping who we are. My past speaks with a Mississippi accent. No matter how far I fled from her, she tracks me down with a bloodhound's tenacity. Her emotional geography obeys no state lines, respecting neither Mason nor Dixon. I've moved as far north as one can without needing a passport. I kept running until the river gave out first. I've tried getting over her, turning my back on her, denying, denigrating, and disowning her. Safely cocooned in Minnesota, I've rebuked and renounced my own family. I've changed my name and homogenized my accent. I've been civilized, psychoanalyzed, defundamentalized, liberalized, robbed, and rebirthed. I've sobered up, asserted my manhood, honored my feminine side, and come out as gay and proud. I vote democratic and pray Unitarian and think globally. In other words, I've done my damnedest to put my past behind me. Ah, but there's the rub. That's the worst of all places to keep your past behind you. It's from there it can wreak its havoc. Even in my adopted home of Minnesota, on the cool, clear, reasonable end of the river, the muddy Mississippi of my past still seduces me in her half-crazed voice, raspy from camel non-filters, her breath a blend of bourbon and peppermint church candy. She whispers into my ear, explain me or I'll drive you crazy. And instantly I'm there again hooked and reeled back through time, my senses taken hostage. I see her and smell her and hear her and taste her, and I shiver as she draws a cool, moist finger down my spine like a trickle of summer sweat. See, I'm not dead, she purrs, mimicking her boy Faulkner. I ain't even passed yet. 
Everybody knows what Tom Wolfe said about never being able to go home again. Tom only told half the truth. The fact is, you can never leave either. I've been trying to escape my past for the better part of my life, only to learn that we do not have a past. The past has us. The past, unlived, becomes our future. Until we answer the question, where does home end and I begin? Sometimes, like me, you need to leave home to find it. You must journey to a place where you don't blend into the background, to a place where your sharp edges can show up a place where you can at last define yourself instead of being defined by place. The formula is as old as storytelling itself. It's called the hero's journey. The hero leaves home, finds and slays the monster, and then returns, transformed. I don't believe our hero discovers new monsters. Instead, he travels to a place where he can at last see the monsters he carries within him. Far away from the murky soup into which he was born, he can finally name his monsters and slay them. The monsters we each must slay are different. Usually they are the things that we were too young, too afraid, too alone to confront. We put them safely in the past thinking this will be distant enough, but they don't die. That unlived past lies waiting within us to be explored like a hidden continent. I'm not a memoirist, I'm simply a storyteller, and remembered stories are the only maps I have into the past. There is an old Italian saying that goes, all stories are true, some even happened. Sometimes the stories I recall don't line up, or they may contradict, but they are nevertheless true. They shine a light, like pointillism in art. If you remember enough stories, they can serve as points of life that, when viewed through together, reveal the larger truth. Ultimately, this is how we learn to master our monsters, by evoking the stories, especially the buried ones. We can at last see the truth in them. I think this is what T.S. Eliot meant in his off-quoted verse. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. When the hero at last returns home, he discovers it was not his past that needed changing. It was he who needed to become large enough to contain it. <laughs>